welcome to I Love Audio. I'm Alex Alvarado, and thank you for listening. This is Ypsilanti's College Football Podcast from Ypsi11.com, Ypsilanti's College Football Newsletter. I know we don't do this all the time, but here's what we have planned. And I always say planned awkwardly on this podcast for obvious reasons. Um, consistency has to be better built around here, and that's going to be the plan moving forward, starting with uh, this episode right here. So not every Saturday, but on Saturdays moving forward, uh, for the foreseeable future at least, uh, through the off season. Probably not going to do this during the season, of course. But on Saturdays, maybe on like a bi-weekly basis, that's kind of what I'm telling myself just to let you know that it's not going to happen you know, every week, January through August. Like, I'm not going to, we're not going to keep doing it like that. But me and Justin Coffin, a voice you've heard here, a voice you've heard on formerly the Free on Saturday podcast, or not Free on Saturday blog, Tuesday Night Lights podcast, Mac Football Pod, formerly of Hustle Belt fame too. You know him because, you know, obviously if you followed my work, his work, you've seen us uh, work together a lot throughout the years. Happy to have him continue on uh, over here at Y11, even though he's a Western guy, you know, don't really let too many Western guys through the door, but uh, he's good. He's good. Uh, His mom's got bona fides at Eastern, so that definitely helps his cause, but he's also a really smart Mac football guy. He definitely pays attention to his Broncos, the Eagles, everything around, you know, the Michigan Mac. So it's fun to have him on. My plan is to have him on, again, not every Saturday, but on some Saturdays enough where we can just look around, read the news, think about what's going on, wait for some big things to fall, and just kind of really get after it. I want to keep things simple, so generally when him and I talk, it's just going to be like a pre-recorded interview. Uh, You're hearing my voice the same day this podcast is going up, but him and I talked uh, late Wednesday night. I'm feeling a lot better now than I did Wednesday night. You'll hear that in a little bit. But it's fun to just, you know, say, hey, let's sit down for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. Let's have these three topics, three bullet points that we want to at least tackle. Maybe they're all the same topic or maybe they're all about the same subject like this one is because we're going to be talking about Maurice Linquist and his exit at Buffalo as he takes the uh, the Alabama job to be its defensive coordinator, not a head coach. You know, we always like to see head coaches move on to be head coaches elsewhere, but that's a dying trend in the Mac, and that sucks. So Maurice Lindquist, he's the subject. We have three bullet points uh, about him and this whole news that this kind of gets after, right? So I'm excited for you to listen to our conversation in just a little bit, but just to spend a minute on Ipsy11.com just to go over some site stuff. Before we get into our conversation, you know, I do want to take this time to just like, you know, go over the site, you know, just kind of see where we're at. Just remind you, hey, these are some posts that have been out. Maybe you've read them already. What are your thoughts on them? Maybe you haven't gotten to it. Hey, this is your time to hear what you might have missed out on and just go check it out. Um, A series that I've been wanting to do for a while. Not that it's like a hard thing to do. It's just like I haven't made the time to like sit down and do it. Um, I've made some life changes to like allow myself to have more time to 
give to this, something that's been missing all last year, regrettably, and I really wanted to fix that this year. I'm taking advantage of doing that. One of the things that I'm writing about, um, I mean, I already talked about Molinquist. I'll just say that. Like, I wrote a thing about Molinquist's exit and my thoughts on that. You can go ahead and read that and, you know, kind of like the names of guys that have gone on to be head coaches after being a head coach in the MAC and guys that, that uh, left to be not head coaches elsewhere, not like be fired and then took new jobs as coordinators elsewhere, but guys hired away from their sitting uh, MAC head coaching spots to be assistants elsewhere. What do those lists look like? But the series I was kind of referring to earlier, four downs, four downs. Uh, that's an easy one. It's just, you know, just football, just four topics, first down, second down, third down, what's called fourth down. So I'm telling myself it's going to be weekly. Hopefully, you know, you know me, hopefully it says as weekly as uh, I'm telling myself it'll be uh, Cole Snyder quarterback transfer from Buffalo. Uh, obviously it's a big Buffalo episode, but Cole Snyder, he transferred to EMU to be a grad transfer quarterback. That was obviously a big, 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 big move. Really, really helpful for the quarterback group. And that really uh, was missing experience, especially last year. Um, this year, too, without Austin Smith, it was going to be without a lot more experience. So it needed that. Cole Snyder, hopefully that, you know, he can bring his knowledge into it and hopefully it pays off for Eastern. Um, but it's not just Cole Snyder. There's there's a lot more than just the one quarterback from Buffalo to be a Mac-to-Mac transfer for Eastern Michigan this year. Uh, the last thing I kind of want to pimp out really quickly, I wrote about five early Mac favorites for 2024. Uh, I published this on the 9th, so that's 11 days ago now. Um, with transfer classes coming in, a subject that I'm going to have to write about team by team just to get through the offseason. As these transfer classes kind of kind of finish up these last couple of weeks before signing day and as teams want to get ready for its spring sessions, they want to make sure that they get the transfers that they want. Um, obviously, some teams were, you know, got some spots filled up quicker than others when, like, New Year's happened and all that stuff. And this, all of this, you know, it's so fluid right now. These rosters, it's so hard to just say, like, this roster is obviously better than this one. Um, some of them are, like, miles behind the others. But even then, with the transfer portal, like, it's hard to read into, like, you know, Kent State. Yeah, it sucked. But, like, I don't know, man. All these new transfers, how, who knows how, like, they're going to work together over these next few months to look in a few months. So it's hard to know how the transfers are going to impact everything, but we can't not have favorites, right? We can't not look at some of the guys who are coming back and not look at some of the guys who aren't leaving after all. Some of the guys who are taking Mac-to-Mac transfers like Bowling Green is with an all-Mac safety and C.J. Brown. You know, there's some things that are, like, really worth banking on. And there are targets on everybody's back. Not everybody has the same size target, but you know what? Miami is not in a spot where, you know, just because it won a MAC championship, everybody's not off graduated, transferred out. Some are, sure, but not everybody. 
So at the time, the the top five that I put as uh, my top five favorites, I put Miami, Toledo, Bowling Green, Western, and Ohio. And then after that, I have no idea. I have no idea if anybody's a dark horse or has like no shot at this thing. I don't know. But if I had to pick favorites, if I had to pick a favorite, I don't know which one I'd go with, Bowling Green. Um, those are the five that I feel the most comfortable as of right now, as of 11 days ago at least, heading into the 2024 season. And again, there's we still got eight months to go. There's still plenty of time for these transfer classes to really add up, to really find like a hidden gem that we don't know about that's like maybe in the JUCO system. Somebody coming off of injury that we had no idea about. I'm excited to like not know who I'm going to fall in love with in eight months. And it all starts now. It all starts with assuming too much. It all starts with making predictions and being wrong about them. This is where it starts. All right. I think I've rambled enough. Me, Justin Coffin, Wednesday night. Let's get to our conversation. All right, Justin, I have my humidifier going next to me. I took an antihistamine earlier. We, I, I had to pause before we hit record on this thing so I can spray some saline nasal stuff in my nose. Uh, this is the best that you're going to get out of me tonight. Uh, but I'm well, you sound best. great. I'm trying my best, Coach. This is your flu game. It's not even close, man. Not everything has to be a flu game. And this is allergies. <laughs> With respect to people that like have suffered. Well, Jordan's flu game wasn't the flu either, so that's perfect. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> not even the flu game was a flu game. With respect to people that actually suffer and sometimes die from the flu. You know what sucks? You know what sucks? Like not Stolen Valor. Are you accusing flu. Michael Jordan of stolen Valor? I would always. Um I, I don't. I have no respect for Michael Jordan or Chicago. Uh, just kidding, Chicago. Don't come after me. I just don't like your place. Um, speaking of not liking your place, and you know we have to respect it no matter what. Buffalo, the Mid American Conference, the valuings of. Why are we saying all those things? Because Maurice Linguist has left Buffalo to be a coordinator at uh, at Alabama. So since the last time we've done this podcasting thing, right, um, a lot has changed, as in the season's over. Nick Saban retired. Kalen DeBoer, formerly a offensive coordinator at Eastern Michigan, turned great head coach at Fresno State, great head coach at Washington, now expected to be a great head coach after one Nick Saban retired. Uh, I don't have to get into all of that stuff. But what we are saying is that Maurice Linquist is joining that staff as a co-defensive coordinator. Uh, and it's kind of like a crazy, I don't know. It's just like a, a move in a trend in a direction of coaching hires that we're not used to seeing and we have to sort of brace ourselves for. Um, but Justin, when you heard the news of Maurice Linquist going to Alabama, what were your initial thoughts? Well, he wasn't long for Buffalo regardless. Um, and I think in terms of your career from a, from a personal standpoint, whether he believes that the, the trajectory of what was happening at Buffalo under his leadership was like his fault or not, wasn't heading for a good place. Um, it's probably better to jump ship on your own than get fired, right? 
I know from my perspective, I wouldn't want to see fired on my own resume. Um, and if he was going to rack up some more losses earlier in the season, it's probably going to happen. Had some transfers, team coming back, didn't have a lot of expectations. Uh, probably the best for both parties. That's honestly what I thought. Yeah, and like I've never – that's a weird thing to say because it's never like kind of been that way. Of course, there's hires to be made where you do want coaches to be hired up into the head coaching realm. And that was sort of the the hope for Maurice Lindquist. And that was sort of the hope for, you know, we'll get to this later, Sean Lewis too, right? Like hire young guys, they impress, they get hired away. Hey, there's a little bit of a buyout cash that we get to, you know, get to benefit from. And then we all move on. That's life. That's what we expect. Uh, but not Yeah, I all- thought you made a good point about Sean Lewis last year, by the way. Uh, kind of the same point, which was like, of course you'd like to keep him, but like it was in the plan for him to be gone after that season anyway. And the hope was that you got the big payout. So it sucked for Kent State because they didn't get the Mac title out of it. They didn't get any of all that other stuff that they thought they could get with the hotshot new coach, right? But the timeline was the same. Like if Kent State went into that season thinking they weren't going to be looking for a head coach, they were not prepared then, right? Mm-hmm. At Buffalo might be a year early a year earlier than they expected but it's pretty close to the timeline you'd expect to figure out whether this thing is working or not so it's really not the end of the world and it's like a little bit unexpected too like it's not like you know they're plucking away like a a a guy that went to a bowl you know went to a bowl game like they did pluck you know and we say that uh kane womack who was the head coach over at south alabama against eastern michigan right uh, he's the mm. other defensive coordinator on the Alabama staff. Uh, Buffalo didn't have that kind of season this year. It was not that great. Uh, not everything is down to him. And we're not hiring Maurice Linguist to be a head coach. It's great that he has that experience. I don't know if we want to classify that as like beneficial, just added grad school knowledge. I don't know how we want to compartmentalize like the experience of being a Mac head coach. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but he is a, you know, he's a great recruiter. That's also going to be incredibly important moving forward in college football, of course. Uh, but he's damn good at coaching defense. Like he is mm-hmm. really, really smart and he does know how to identify guys and how to get guys in the defensive secondary to, you know, play really, really good football. So he's definitely qualified in that department. But what we were hoping to see is that he was qualified in the head coaching department too and, you know, find happiness in that and try to take that into being the next head coach at, I don't know, Missouri or something like that when that Mm -hmm. opens up. Well, and I don't know that like my first read on this was that it wasn't necessarily while there is a bigger macro problem at play going on, I didn't think that was necessarily the case with Buffalo. It was just a guy that was probably ready to move on. And maybe Buffalo is ready to move on from. It does kind of suck that like, because Mo Linguist is a highly regarded guy. And he's like very much, like you mentioned, he can really, really coach him up on defense. He's a pretty good recruiter. He was a good recruiter at Buffalo. And like, you know. He was a really good recruiter at Texas A&M too. Like those bonafides never go away. And it's a bummer that even if, like we don't live in a college football world where guys get a lot of patience anymore. But like, even if Buffalo had patience with him and thought, no, 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 like if if, if this guy wants to become a head coach and be a head coach at this level, he can 
stay here for six, seven years. We'll wait as long as it takes. We think he's going to be the guy. Even if that's where Buffalo's head was at, it wouldn't have mattered. Because I think like the macro problem is, like I think about it in terms of, you know, like let's go to baseball, everyone's favorite sport. It doesn't have a salary cap, but you still see upsets and you still see dark horse teams go through because there's only so many spots on the field, man. Even if a team has unlimited money, they can't pay everybody. Not everybody's going to go there. They can't hoard all the talent, right? But the hack in college football is that teams can hoard all the talent on the other side of the white lines. Yeah, They can have as many guys as they want. And with these new TV deals, it's only going to get worse. Um, the NCAA is toying around in these last few years of just getting rid of the limits altogether. And you're, so you're going to see more of this where they're going to pluck highly talented. Mo Linguist fits the bill of the exact type of guy that these power five programs will look at. Like, hey, this guy's maybe a little bit underwater and over his head as a head coach. Let's bring him in and let him do what he does best for us for more money and less responsibility. Um, And it's not that any of that ambition has gone away, but Linguist is a younger guy. Like, he's going to get another shot again. Um, He probably doesn't feel like he needs Buffalo. So what type of world do we live in when these guys feel that they don't need these jobs anymore? to get the bigger job they have their eyes on. Do you remember when, and I'm just now remembering this, like as you were talking, like, do you remember when Maurice Linquist was hired by Buffalo? Do you remember what was going on? Because it wasn't January. It was like after spring. Do you remember that? He had just been hired. He had just been hired by Michigan, right? And Kansas had the late departure of Les Miles. Yep. And that's what triggered it all. Because um, Linguist, like, literally got a cup of coffee on Jim Harbaugh's staff. May. It was and, May. Oh, my God. Like, that's incredibly hard. Like, I think if I'm Maurice Linguist and I'm going through that, right? Like, I already know, like, I'm being dealt a like, really crappy hand, you know, like... There's a lot that goes into it, but you know what? Because of the situation, because I'm a first-time head coach, maybe the expectations are a little bit low, and because of my connections, maybe I can recruit myself like out of this when the time comes. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm sure he didn't think that he was going to be, you know, sitting in that chair at Alabama like this. I didn't think that was going to. I don't know what he thought, but like that. That's. That that's such a wild imagination, right? To think, um, mm-hmm. but the imagination does does you know does creep. Uh, well, something changed in those four years where, like, making that jump uh, right after a pandemic and like considering all the circumstances, like he set himself up. But despite all of those headwinds, he felt that this was an opportunity worth taking. And four years in, four seasons in, I'd rather he no longer feels that way. Um, like, you, you gotta think, like, I don't he, think it says a ton about Buffalo specifically um, or even the Mac specifically, right? Like it, it's, it could just be a coaching community specific. Like, I guess I won't even call it a problem because depending on where you sit, <laughs> it's not a problem at all. It's certainly not a problem if you're Alabama. Um, but it, it's just interesting to think about that four years as an eternity in college football years, how much things can change. I mean, a lot has to do with, like, you know, what you have to – what are your goals in the first place of getting into coaching, right? Like, Maurice Lindquist, Tim Albin, Chris Creighton, 
Mike knew. I'm sure they all have different goals for their coaching lives, what they want, like moving forward and what they came in with. Right. Um, so those are all like varying moving variables that like you have to think about when you consider all this. One thing I do want to point out, like about morally Linquist, like even if he wanted to like do his best or something like that, I'm not saying that he wasn't, but even if he wanted to like shoot for the moon, right. Even if he wanted to like exceed expectations and all that stuff at Buffalo, I'm sure he knew like damn well how hard that would have been anyways. Right. Like, Sean Lewis didn't want to stay in Kent State, like we were talking about earlier. I'm sure he didn't want to stay in Buffalo any longer than, he, than necessary. Like, the reason why Buffalo was so poopy to watch on offense this past year was because Shane Montgomery left for the NFL, right? And their new offensive coordinator, DJ Mangus, was not good at all. Just not good at all. Um, and a lot of guys left. It had less to do with like talent leaving and more to do with just like not good enough coaching. And so after one season, he was let go. Do you know who the plan was to be the new offensive coordinator after that was? I do not. Okay. I'm not going to do any names because I don't 100% know how to pronounce the last name, even though it looks easy. But I'm just going to boil it down right to the point. Where this guy came from before he was going to be the offensive coordinator at Buffalo, he was the offensive coordinator at Temple. So I was supposed to read that. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> oh, that's no. the upgrade. That's the upgrade right there. Uh, that reminds me when um, Western Michigan hired Tim Doust as defensive coordinator in Tim Lester's first or second year. And Doust was fresh off being the defensive coordinator at Ball State, who fielded like – by points allowed to one of the worst Mac defenses of all time. Mm-hmm. Come on down, man. Yeah. And then it went as it went how you thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're better off hiring like Mike Jinks or something like that, you know? If you want to recruit Texas from Buffalo or Bowling Green. So Buffalo's got a coaching search going on, right? Uh, me and you, we are not going to be in the position to like come up with names, consider anybody, because even if we would have tried to do this when this job last opened, if you would have given me a hundred opportunities to say a name and like try to fill like Buffalo's coaching opening, I probably would not have picked Maurice Linquist just because you know I'm unfamiliar. So it would not be good podcasting. What would be sort of fun for us if you and I were in charge of thinking about what should go into hiring Buffalo's next football coach. Now that we're doing this in January and not in May, what would we consider if we were in charge of this search? What are some important things that might stick out to us? What are some some risks that we're willing to take? Um, But what are some things that we're not willing to risk on? So, Justin, I mean, I'll start with you. Like, what would be important to you if you were in charge of a Buffalo coaching search? I'm looking for one of two options. The first is I'm looking for, is there another guy like Lance Leipold who could be later in their career, has a lot of success at a lower level, wants to come up and get some more resources, more scholarships and see what they can do, right? Nothing left to prove at the level they're at in, in the case of, of what Leipold was. 
I know those guys aren't exactly a dime a dozen. So that's a more restricted search. Um, but I'm looking for somebody exactly like Mo Linguist, like highly regarded younger assistant with a lot of ambition. So I know you and I go back and forth on this a lot about should you hire a guy who wants to be there or do you want to hire a guy who doesn't want to be there, wants to do a really, really good job, get out in three years, it works out for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I would still be in that mode if I'm Buffalo. Um, I want a guy who thinks he can come in with what we have today and can turn it into a nice career for themselves. Um, the question is not whether those guys that fit that profile exist. It's whether those guys exist and want the Buffalo job. Mm-hmm. And do you have the money to make them want it? Which is where I think the whole thing falls apart. Um, Cause it's not a lot of schools in the Mac that can take, you know, million and a half dollar bets on guys that are unproven. And not a lot of guys lining up to pay the buyout if it doesn't work. But even still, that's where my head's at. Like that's that's who I'm targeting. I I, I just want, I would want another Molinguist. I think it would be fine. Would you want a? Okay, so you want a Molinguist. So maybe like a Lance Taylor because he came in as like a proven recruiting coordinator. Because like. There's a few ways. If you're going to be young, you're going to be unproven in a lot of areas. But if you're going to be young and going into like this stage of a job, there is something proven to your game, or there should be, maybe, probably, right? I'd hope so. Yeah. Like I, I, would I mean, Lance Taylor coaches. had been an offensive coordinator for a year. I don't think he called plays though. So, I, but I think like I don't think it even has to be that much. Like I don't think you're necessarily looking for someone with like Taylor's background necessarily because Taylor had had a lot of stops for a lot of different coaches and coached a lot of really great players and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't even think it has to be like that, you know, the most proven of the unproven, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be somebody that's an, that's an even bigger risk. Right. Well, Um, but I, but I do think there's something to be said for like in this scenario, if you want to turn it around quickly anyway, you want someone who thinks they can do it and is crazy enough to do it. Like you might need someone a little bit crazy, especially in this current environment. Um, Cause what you want to avoid is accidentally hiring somebody that wants that job because no one wants them as an analyst at Georgia or Alabama. <laughs> right. Well, so, but here's what I'm trying to get at. Like there's, I'm looking at it as like, there's three ways that like you can like really, really prove yourself, like, like make, a niche for yourself like i'm a this kind of guy i'm a that kind of guy like what is like you stack like stack rank these like one two three like what's and what's the most important quality that you have to prove yourself as like do you have to have like your proven head coach where like you can like run a whole organization have like a vision a mindset a plan detailed staffing you know you know uh know how to like hire staff all that kind of stuff you know, are you a proven coordinator that like, you know, you just have like, I am so good at writing X and like telling them like where to go on a whiteboard mm-hmm. and same with the O's or a proven recruiter, like someone that like can like really, really, really make it in sales as a college football recruiter. Like, yeah. Okay. I mean, put that way. I want someone who can, if I'm Buffalo, I want someone who can recruit the Northeast. 
Like they're in a unique geographic position relative to the rest of the Mac, either the Northeast or Cleveland. Like if you can recruit either of those two spots, we'll take you. Sure. Uh, now here's now here's one. This is like a, I don't know if it's a new layer, but this is certainly like one that's like definitely been standing out a lot more like with college coaches. Uh, I think Deion Sanders is like sort of like really like in his own world in this, but like he's definitely part of this same conversation I'm about to say. Um, guys that like are already like independently wealthy, like how important is it if you're a co- like if you're a program like Buffalo is in the MAC, you're already like struggling for this. Could you find you're not probably not going to find Deion Sanders because there's only one of him, but somebody found Biff Pogey and got him to Charlotte, and that guy does not take a dime from Charlotte. What he does is just turn around, take that check that is written out to him, and just gives it to his assistants because he has enough at home, right? Like if is that like a thing that Buffalo should try to look out for or should they just like really just not like consider that at all because i don't know man like at some point like these mac teams might have to try to find or at least this conference needs to find a like coach that doesn't need this kind of money there have been like mac coaches that come in and like don't need the money but only because they've like you know kind of like mac like mac win yeah, like Mac Wayne, still under Jim bio. Warhead, yeah. Terry Bowden, they have enough in the bank, but only because they had like the coaching like acumen, like the coaching checks to back it up a little bit beforehand, or Daddy's money. Yeah, I don't know how long that list is, mm-hmm. but I mean, sure. Um, like, reach out to Elon. You know, Elon Musk. You wanna, you know, you wanna leave Buffalo? <laughs> Sure, why the hell not? Get the worst. No, I'm, 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 plant- <laughs> I'm planting my flag on like, can someone recruit regionally? Okay. Like, I don't know. Buffalo, Buffalo specifically is weird. So, like, that answer is different mm-hmm. for Buffalo specifically, I think. But, I do think you can jumpstart a program if you've sort of lost your way by recruiting, you know, locally or into or in in whatever region you're in, right, as best as you possibly can. Uh-huh. Maximize the talent that's close to you within what you're able to do, right? Like, you know, pulling five stars or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But like, get the three stars to stay home, or the high two stars to stay home. Um, cause I think like the piece we haven't talked about is like portaling. Yeah. Hitting the transfer portal. Sure. I think, and I, I could just be wrong on this, right? That's why I'm not advise. I don't advise any athletic departments is that I think you're wasting your time if you're hiring at the Mac level or most of the G5 level anyway, and saying, we want a guy who's really going to hit the portal. Cause I think in the case of the Mac specifically, your net portal in is always going to be worse than your portal out. Um, like do not 
look for a guy. If a guy comes in and promises you that he can pick up guys from the power five in the portal, show him the door. Because right. like a FCS to Mac transfer is going to be infinitely more valuable than, you know, a fifth string wide receiver from big school A, B, or C coming in. With all due respect to Sam Wigless, it worked out in that case. But not every wide receiver room has like multiple Hall of Famers in it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. So like, don't get a guy that's going to be like, I got a guy who's on the bench at Missouri who's got a lot of potential. Who cares? Like, get a guy that can recruit your region and find a way, like if portaling is important to you, be able to have an eye for talent at the FCS level. And so I guess the guy that fits the bill is like, is there anybody coaching at the FCS ranks or D2 in that region as a head coach who knows how to run a program with a little bit less resources that can come in and do that for you, right? You're not looking at like, guy, not guys who were on Bob Chesney's level, like not that, but that sort of fits the bill. But yeah. <clears throat> there's risk there because you could hire Tom Marth. He would fit all of those, all of those criteria I just listed, and you could end up with Tom Arth. I think, uh, I I don't know if I'm thinking it because like I'm just like you know too close and like I cover him too much, but like I wouldn't mind it if Buffalo went for a guy that like went with Chris Creighton's approach right now, which is that we're a development school. Like whether it's you're coming here for two years and you're trying to portal out whether you're coming here for your grad transfer year, whether you're actually here for the long haul, like you have to develop into whatever your next step's going to be. So I think just like keeping your head down and just like not worrying about it, like, cause you're always going to be Buffalo. You're always going to be disadvantaged, but if you can at least like concentrate on like, Hey, this is a program that gets guys to get be to get better, takes guys in and makes them better then I think that would be a good place for Buffalo to be in as a program because I don't know I don't know what to expect out of trying to build like a dynasty out of anything in Buffalo uh especially if like you're if you might bring in a coach that's only going to be there for another 3 years or 6 years whatever the case may be like you still have to have like a good infrastructure like there was so much goodwill that like was built up from Lance Leipold. And then that all kind of went out the door as soon as he left suddenly in May. And like, no one's going to blame him for that. But I think we're a little bit far enough removed from what the Lance Leipold goodwill brought. And it needs to like, kind of get back to that. Yeah. They're not, I mean, that's a good point. They're not at like, um, Buffalo is not in the situation. Kent state, was where it's like kind of starting from scratch again like they're not that you just kind of you need someone that's going to fill the cupboard quickly and whether it's you know to your point kind of like a power five finishing school (laughs) approach right if that's what you want to do but whatever the strategy is like someone has to come with a like this is how we're going to be good in two years and i guess the, the question is like how do you do it i think you do it through recruiting um but it could, you know, maybe Buffalo falls on the line of like, no, we need someone with some like good ideas about 
how to manage a football team, right? Or um, do they have a giant binder of plays or an offensive scheme or defensive scheme that we think is pretty special, right? Um, But it's a hard question, man, because I don't, I I just think you can't, um, your window's two to three years before this happens again. Because your risk is no longer, like the calculus used to be, you're going to get a guy that's going to excel and leave in three to four years because they're so good that someone else wants them. Or they're going to be so bad, they're going to flame out, we're going to fire them and be back here. But either way, we're going to be doing this again in three to four years. But now it's not any of the extremes. You could you could be six and six and lose your guy as an analyst. Yeah. And I think that presents a whole different risk for the hiring process. But I, the only thing I would say is don't fall into the trap of, and it's hard, but don't fall into the trap of finding a guy who wants to be there. Not that that's a bad thing, right? But don't limit your search just to like people who want you or want to stay for five or six years, right? I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, but like, it, like what? What's? Wh- why do you say that though? Like, why are you against guys that like are into like the Mac? Because my my old argument, and like we've recorded lots of podcasts before, and like I'm sure you've heard me say it plenty of times, which is that like you have to be like a little bit different in that department to be able to like have this kind of success, and like if you're like a school generally speaking like you don't want to keep doing this every four years like you don't want to keep doing this this isn't fun like this is the second time since covid that buffalo's doing mm-hmm. this you know like they don't really want to keep doing this i'm, I'm not doing any report maybe it depends on what your ad's prerogative is though like if you're turning through ad's too then maybe it's fine because new ad's are going to want to make a, a splash higher right or get it right that's fair for their resume as well that's fair so i think and i don't know much about i don't know anything about buffalo's ad situation right um so like but i think the the reason i'm i'm not adverse to it right i don't want it to be like oh you you shouldn't hire someone who wants to like if a guy comes in and says i really want to be here i could see myself being here for 10 years honest to god like that's not a reason not to hire a person it's i'm saying that that shouldn't be like the sole focus of like okay, we got burned here and we don't want to get burned again. So we're going to narrow our search to people who are not going to do that to us, right? And like, I saw that happen at WMU. I thought it it wasn't May, but it it was January when PJ Fleck left for Minnesota. And I thought, you know, while the options were a little bit more bare, WMU had some money to burn through. They had people lined up to pay big contracts. I felt like, and I don't know what name I would have preferred than other than Tim Lester, right? But like, you know, they, they went and hired the guy that finished second place to PJ Fleck in the last time they went through those interviews. <clears throat> and so if you thought that guy was second best then, what does that mean now? I'm not saying Buffalo's got a second best person that they're going to give a call back from four years ago, but like, you see how things can kind of stagnate pretty quick because, well, you got a guy who's very committed to being there 
and sometimes they do just enough to be there. And if you want more than that, you're probably not going to get it unless you get really lucky. Um, like I know that Ball State and NIU both got MAC championships yeah. out of the deal, but I think you can say something similar for Mike New and Thomas Hammock. Like I think there's some frustrations with both of those programs. Um, in what they are under those coaches, right? And they seem to be kind of stagnant as well. Again, they got MAC titles out of it, so it's not the worst thing in the world. But, and I'm sure Buffalo would take it. <clears throat> but like, if there's anything more that you want, then that might not be the way you want to go. I don't know. I mean, Here's the thing. Frank Solich took a year off between getting let go at Nebraska and taking the Ohio job. And he, he absolutely fell in love with Ohio. If you've ever been to that campus, you would too. Um, if Ohio took your line of thinking, you know, Frank Solich never happens. And Ohio's not currently competitive under Tim Alvin today. And I, I don't know if there's been like a. That was a long like, time ago, if though. You give, if you like give, the, the landscape was super different. Okay, but th- that's back then. I'm going to expand it to now. Like in the past, any time you can think of, has there been like a quick flip over four years, and it's been like a lasting like thing for a Mac school? Because every like for every Mac school that like is in a good place, like eventually today whatever like whatever respect was built up for a max school's football team it's always been like a long approach eastern's a long approach niu it had to be a long approach akron they never did it like they could never do it because they can never figure it out akron never ever 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 for as as far as i can see for as long as it's at least been a max school right it's never had a coach like move on from its head coaching position to a higher rank. Mm-hmm. It's always fired its guys. It's never done good at, good at that. Like some of these schools it, have just done a bad job of hiring in the first place. Yeah. It like Bowling it's Green a good, is it's probably a good point. like let's see. Bowling Green was like kind of like a weird one. Like they've had like moments of success like under Gary Blackney and he was like a he was an interesting candidate. He was a guy that like went like eleven and one once and like could have taken bigger jobs, but like one of the reasons he didn't move on from Bowling Green was one, he felt prideful because he felt he owed the community more after winning a lot, which is like you've never heard that, but you don't hear that these days. Crazy and, to hear that now, yeah. And two, he had a, a very ill wife at home they had to consider. So, you know, don't really want to move when uh when he had home stuff to deal with. Um, but then they hired Urban Meyer after that. We're not going to go down the list like this, but no. It usually Bowling Green is the outlier case there. But if you want to sustain multiple years of success, you have to have the next guy has to already be on yeah. staff or like have worked for the previous yeah. guy somewhere. But Scott Loeffler, like if we're going to even stick with Bowling Green, it took years of like if you wanted to let go of Scott Loeffler, if me and you were in charge of Bowling Green. His ass mm-hmm. would have been gone so long ago. Yeah, and that's yeah. why we're not in charge of Bully Green or anything important for that matter. Yeah. But, again, 
like if you look at like you you use the Toledo and NIU example of the sustained success. I mean, they did it by hiring within the family, right? You got to get that first guy right, and then from there, you. And I think this this I think is the bigger problem. Like we can talk about like who the right head coaching candidate is, but like there's there's nothing you're going to find on any of these guys' backgrounds that is going to indicate whether or not they're going to be successful. Like there was just nothing on like PJ Flex resume that indicated that this was the guy, right? And he had the Riz. Yeah, he sure did. I'm trying to turn that into some sort of row the boat. Riz the boat. Give me a little bit. Uh, Riz the boat. He's absolutely going to say that at some point. Do you think he's ever said that at a recruiting meeting? I hope not. Um, God, I hope not. If he did, I hope it didn't work. Um, but like, and WMU had like eight straight, like above 500, about 500 or better seasons. So I'm not going to act like things were a disaster under Tim Lester or anything like that. That is kind of stagnated and they've sort of fallen back to earth. Right. But Toledo has maintained excellence through the same, like you can go three coaching generations of Toledo football and they're all connected. Right. And I think the harder thing to do is going to be retaining assistance you talked about like having a guy that's independently wealthy that's going to pay assistance and keep them around. I think that's going to be more important than like a coach moving on or resigning as a, as an analyst or whatever, right? Because if if Buffalo had another talented uh, assistant on staff, and they might, and they haven't made a decision about who's going to be the head coach next, right? So they could end up being fine. Like the answer could be someone who's already there, and just keep it rolling. Oh, you who know, cares you know that? who tried that? You know who tried that once? Do you remember who tried that once? Ball State. And you know what happened? It sucked. It wasn't even worth anybody's time. They just kept Stan Parrish, who hadn't been a head coach Stan in 30 Parrish. years. Yeah. Or 20 it doesn't years, always. Or 20 years it doesn't time, always. It doesn't always work. But if it's going to work, like the guy who's going to make it work is probably already on campus. But I think that's going to be harder to do. It's harder to keep these assistants on campus through entire coaching cycles. I have a note written down here about like, um, like WMU is replacing two coordinators this year. That like, if you wanted to put these head to head, like what's a scarier thing, Buffalo needing a new head coach or WMU turning over two coordinators. I think it's the turning over of two coordinators. I think your assistants are more important than they've ever been in college football. And they're harder to keep because the money is so much better elsewhere. Because there's still some level of like pride and ambition that comes with being a head coach that I think will still lead highly touted assistants to take these types of jobs. I don't think it's dead. Like you might not be getting the cream of the crop like you used to in the Mac, but you're still going to get guys just under that. That's always going to happen. But is there a reason for an offensive coordinator to, to sit around and not take the head coaching job at Stony Brook? Which I find interesting that. Mac assistants see FCS head coaching jobs differently than Power Five assistants see Mac head coaching jobs. I so it's so in some ways. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not always going to like draw like direct conclusions from that. Like we don't know the whole story behind like all that stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. not not every coaching this not every move is because it was uh it was wanted. Uh, and I say that with no knowledge, but it is weird. It is weird that. Billy Kosh, somebody that like we really looked forward to like seeing like like it's it was like a first like he came in with a first year coach 
the automatic assumption is that he'll be there for two. Yeah. So that's the problem. Like, well, I think it's more because he had a resume that was good enough to be an FCS head coach before coming to Western Michigan. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't need the WMU stop to get the job he has now. And you're right. I don't know the whole situation or what's going on there, right? Could be a million other factors that aren't in play. Sure. Right? And sometimes it's just timing, right? But he was a hotshot offensive coordinator at both VMI and Richmond. And, like, his FCS pedigree was already there. Um, That, I think, is, like, something to keep an eye on Mm -hmm. in the MAC in particular. And I think – I know you've harped on, like, assistance, assistance, assistance forever. Uh, Look at Eastern Michigan. All of their assistants are getting paid a lot of money these days. (laughs) And one of them is at the pinnacle of the sport. So, like, in a very short amount of time didn't see that coming like even when like he was being interviewed i'm like oh that's not happening i don't know who they got next but like i don't i don't know i don't know who i don't know this right. is gonna be interesting and it's it's remarkable um and i mean deboer is a guy who saw that pathway through the mac as something very valuable do you guys still see it that way i don't know I do know you're not when you're if you're a Buffalo and you're interviewing somebody, you're not going to be able to glean that from an interview and know who still thinks that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but short of just having the money to get the right people into the room, like I do think there's I don't know, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that's why I keep going back to recruiting is like. It's still a very simple story. Try to have better players than everybody else around you. And you know what? That, I think that that leads to like a note I have written down here by Toledo because like Jason Candle's been like a really interesting case study. That kind of leads into my last bullet too. So we're kind of like double doing this. My last bullet on here, and then we'll get out of here, is uh, road mapping your way through the MAC, and that's kind of like putting us in like a mile, like in uh, in their shoes. You know, just imagine as like MAC coaches, like you know, what is your like your pathway out of here? And like you do, we have been looking at Toledo for a little bit. Right, because Jason Candle's one who, you know, he's been to Detroit three times, right? Uh, He is somebody that's, like, been kind of, like, hurt by this weak league. He's somebody that has, like, taken interviews at other stops, but, like, has not found what he's looking for. I don't really know. Can't really report on too much. But the case is, like, he's a proven head coach at Toledo. He's done well. And he's just not getting those next opportunities to be a head coach. Uh, and he's not taking, you know, offensive coordinator opportunities either. You know, again, not all drugs Yet. sound the same. Yeah, right. But at some point, you know, I'm sure he wanted to just like level up and be a head coach because he was not, you know, he wasn't an old guy that wanted to be at Toledo for 12 years. You know, he, not that he's been there for 12 years yet, but. He's uh, well. All told, I don't actually know offhand because he was. It's close to ten, right? No, wait. It is close to ten. As like an assistant too. This will be. This will be season. Yeah, he's been at Toledo for twelve years. I think this will be season ten as a head coach. Wow, man. See, Um, and like he's still like really, really young. I'm sure he didn't want to do that, but the reason is, is because you're at Toledo, and that's like the worst double-edged sword because like you have the best job in the MAC. And it's so good, 
that if you don't win the Mac, it's in a really, really embarrassing look. And that's why you don't don't get your next job. But if you do win the Mac, who the hell is supposed to be impressed with you? I mean, Matt Campbell never did. Um, with different the Mac, time, but like but that was a different time. He got out at like, a very at different a time. Very, yeah, ten very years ago. Time. Yeah. Um, twenty twenty four is so different. Extremely different. I think he's like, he feels like the anti Sean Lewis to me. Where like, Sean Lewis, I think very clearly and semi publicly maybe just reading between the lines of some of the interviews as a guy who thought like he wanted more credit for doing more with less at Kent state. And candle seems like a guy that folks think is doing less with more. Like the, the talent pool is so strong and the pipelines are so strong at Toledo that it's like, <clears throat> yeah, but you're supposed to be that good. And I, I don't think that's necessarily fair. Like, I got, I mean, we've seen Jason Cano coach for a long time. So we know, like, there's, there's certain things going on. Like, that, that program tends to, they, they've shed some of the Toledo ness, but like, they still do kind of come up short in some big spots, right? Dude, or don't beat Mario teams the way Crystal that they Ball. should. What is he doing? Yeah. <laughs> still, still going. He's still going. The, the only difference like, is that he was connected differently when he was a player when he was in college. Like, I mean, speaking of which, that was like, the uh, becoming Mario Cristobal's offensive coordinator was the closest Candle had to leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I it it seems unfair to me that the knock on can't like like he, he's a system coach <laughs> i don't know like that's what people seem to think like the i i think people are seeing toledo as a plug and play job and i don't think just anybody can do it right i think you still have to be because their talent is much better than the rest of the mac but we've seen historically that that doesn't really matter like you just kind of have to recruit in the top half and keep it consistent. Like I think consistent recruiting is probably more important than churning out, you know, number one, number two recruiting classes. But at the same time, like the Renaissance at Miami with Chuck Martin, like uh, it's not a coincidence that like two or three classes ago, they were the top one or two or three classes in the Mac. There's pretty strong correlation. Like people pull in really good recruiting classes and then they start competing for Mac titles. And because Toledo is always pulling in the number one or number two class, they're always going to be right there. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I don't, that's part of the job, right? It's that it doesn't make it like plug and play. It's weird. It's just weird to me that he hasn't got a job. I don't know whether he'd be a good power five or like, uh, like AAC head coach or something like that. Like, I don't know that he'd be good at it. I have no idea. It's weird that nobody thinks he would enough to like pull the trigger and hire him. I mean, also like the landscape is kind of like, different now too like all these like jobs that like when he first was like a head coach right like anything that like whatever i thought that his next stops could have been like the levels of like the playing field just look so differently right like i thought that like okay he'll like move up into maybe the american next and maybe be at ucf right but that's like that that that's not a real sentence i can say anymore Not at the American. Like if you, first of all, the no. UCF is not in the American, and the American isn't exactly moving up. Right. 
No, not anymore. I mean, how many jobs in the American would be like a clear move up right now? Tulane. Yeah, and even then, like you're not Mem- hustling. Memphis. And then even at Tulane, like if you're as like proven as Willie Fritz is, where'd he go? He went to a defected American school into a power conference. So it's like, yeah, it's a bump up, but like only on paper. It's not like, you know, unless Houston ends up being like a perennial like eight seed, then then we're then it's a different story. But I'm hesitant to like. There's a lot of like sky is falling rhetoric around this. Oh, I'm um, I think I saw. I mean, I think I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter, which is not real life, which is just like, get ready for more of this. People are like, people are just going to be poaching assistance and hoarding all the talent and all that stuff. And again, back to my earlier point, like, I think that's mostly true, but there's still, again, there's still some prestige that comes with being like a head coach, even if it's a place in the Mac that a lot of people don't look very highly on right now. Sure. Um, And... I don't know. I wonder, like, that's why I'm hesitant to be like, how do we fix this, right? Because, I mean, the the simple way to fix it is have assistant pool limits in terms of, like, number of coaches. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how you do it. You, you put a <clears throat> scholarship limit, so to speak, or a salary cap on your assistant pool. That's how you do it. If you want more guys to coach at the MAC, cap the amount of money that they can make being an analyst at Alabama. That is never going to happen. So then what? Like, well, how do you fix it? I don't know. Like maybe there just becomes, as you mentioned, like 80s don't want to be churning through people every three to four years. That probably includes at the power five ranks too. Are people at Missouri going to be wanting to change coaches all the time? Well, here, here And if they become longer tenured coaches, does that just kind of create a blocker? Which I think has kind of happened. Like a lot of these jobs that we talk about Matt Campbell, like, these a lot of these like big jumps before the big jump are sort of like locked down or are like equally as hopeless like what is a what's a move to be the head coach at indiana gonna do for your career you know what i'm saying sure like that because i think a lot of the focus ends up on like the mac and the rest of the g5 but i think the impact is going to be felt at places like indiana or even illinois or something like that i don't know because eventually, are you going to be able to make, if you want to be the head coach at USC someday, everything's all jacked up right now, but like, are you going to be able to get to USC by way of Maryland? It's probably a bad example, literally opposite coasts, but like, are you going to be able to get to, I don't know, I guess you can get to AM by way of Duke in the case of Mike Elko, like it's not impossible, but are you are you blocked out if you're being the head coach there too, right? Like, is it more valuable for you to be an assistant at Alabama in your pursuit of being a Power 5 head coach? Maybe that the answer is yes. And if that always remains true, like it's going to impact the lower tiers of the Power 5 as well. Not that I'm going to cry any tears for them. But. Right, yeah. I mean, like again, like it all boils down to like goals and like, how do you view the landscapes? Because like, if uh, like if the playoff just like means that that much like that much to you, then your good good news for you. You live in twenty twenty four, where like 
there's 12 teams that's going to go into it. So there's like mm, one of like 80s, like 80 schools at the start of the year are like all, you know, available to be in the playoff at any given year. Uh, so if you're at like one of 80 schools or within one of two leagues, more likely, then you're in a really good spot. Um, but that wasn't a priority like 12 years ago. So it's just something that like these guys got to consider. Um, the playoff could save the G5 dynamic of this too if they retain that automatic qualifier, which I do not think they will. No, but like one thing that we got to like think about though, and like I have to bring back like one former point of yours and we'll like wrap up here in like a little bit, I promise. Um, the transfer portal, like that's a thing that like you have to consider in these coaching changes. And like this is where like the nail in the coffin is for like these G5 programs as they add up. Because like if like an like, the Alabama thing is like only going to happen as long as like, you know, they're changing guards right now with Nick Saban, of course, in a few years within our lifetimes, that job will open again. More jobs around Alabama, of course, will open up. The problem with like these, like these bigger schools hiring in, you know, G five head coaches to be assistants, you know, you know, good for the coaches and all that stuff. Uh, good luck to the schools trying to replace them. But in the meantime, do you know what happens as far as the transfer portal is concerned when your head coach leaves? That's right. It's open for another 30 days now. So while we're in the offseason, while like after the first windows essentially opened up for these Mac schools that, you know, finish the season, maybe seven and five, maybe it's two and 10, whatever the case may be. You probably lost a lot of players, probably didn't, whatever. They had the chance to leave. If your head coach leaves again in like January or February, they have another opportunity to follow them to wherever they're going to. And it's probably going to be like, I don't know, your best player on your roster at least. So I think that like that cumulative like snowball effect is like a big fear that these schools have to keep in mind too and to help out my case would probably like want to sway them away from like not wanting to be in a coaching cycle every like three years because then they're like in a even bad transfer portal spot every three years and it's just like not not feasible to can't really do it or at least my faith like in replacing rosters every two years isn't really there no i mean it wasn't sustainable before so um then it's not getting easier I don't know. Uh, I, I do have one stat. I do have one stat. I think I know we said it like before we recorded and I do want to like get it on here before we finish up. Cause I don't know if I said it uh, since 2000, right? Since 2000, there have been 18 coaches, Mac coaches, uh, head coaches that have been hired away to be head coaches somewhere else. And then since 2020, it's only been Lance Leipold. And then Courtney, did I already say this on the air or did we just talk about it off air? I think it was off. Okay. And then coordinators wise, since 2000, four head coaches from the Mac have been hired away to be assistants somewhere else. But since 2020, giving you the same time span that Lance Leipold left, uh, it's been two assistants, two assistants. And that's uh, Sean Lewis and Mo Linquist. So a rarity on the whole for Mac coaches to leave 
via being like hired away as assistants somewhere else. But only if we're like looking at like the long scope of things. If we're shortening things up since like, I don't know, since the pandemic, right? Since like our memory can like easily like recall on, like it's been a, it's been a growing trend. It's not been good. Uh, and that's why like Jason Candle's still at Toledo. And that's why, oh God, man, Sean Lewis just had to hustle just to get to San Diego State. And even then, like he's not even at a power school yet. Just stinks. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, I'm all out of notes. Do you have anything else to add? Uh, No, I don't. Thank you for listening to another episode of Y11 Audio. If you like what I do, hit subscribe. If you love what I do, all I ask for is $6 a month, and you can get it all at ipsy11.com. I'm Alex Alvarado, and thanks again.